Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Geico presents sharing versus oversharing. Way early this morning, Brad Higdon shared a major spoiler alert from everyone's favorite hit show, Sad Emojis, to express his feelings about the plot twist and a playlist he made to drown out his sorrows? Dude, oversharing alert. Brad, Geico has something worth sharing with those who haven't defriended you. Like how you could save hundreds on your car insurance at Geico.com. So stop moping about the post-apocalyptic world and start saving in the real world. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code ROTOWIRE when you make your deposit for a free contest entry today. Uh, once the regular season gets underway, the Monday edition of this podcast will focus on recaps of Sunday's games. We'll also preview the Monday night game each week as well. Derek Van Riper here today with Chris Smith. You can give him a follow on Twitter at FantasySmith, the new Twitter handle on a day where he uh, makes his podcasting debut for us and uh, this podcast is available for subscription on itunes and stitcher so if you're listening to us on those platforms we'd appreciate it if you could leave us a nice review uh, chris welcome first and foremost uh, we'll get to some news here in just a moment uh, arian foster is facing a four to six week absence rather than a 10 plus week absence with the uh, return from ir designation as something that was rumored last week to be kind of out of play right now there was this window last week from the time the news broke about the injury until this weekend when we had the follow-up where you, you could have got a really nice discount on Foster. Because I think in NFFC drafts, a few other places, he was falling 100 picks off of his ADP. Now I feel like it might just be a couple of rounds. Where do you feel comfortable taking Arian Foster right now with this updated timetable for that groin injury? Well, if it really is four to six weeks, I'm looking back at a draft I did last week, he went 84. So to kind of put that in context a little bit, um, but if I'm looking at it now, I kind of compare him. And I think this would make for an in- interesting discussion, but Aaron Foster versus Todd Gurley. Uh, it's very similar timetables. Um, so do you look him as, as an RB2? Do you look at him as an RB3? Uh, right now, I would take him probably, you know, fourth, fifth round uh, guy with upside because at that point you're looking at running backs who have a, you know, a situation where they have a – you know, a back that they're competing with. Uh, when Foster comes back and he's healthy, it's his job. Um, so if you can afford to wait, uh, I like I said, fourth, fifth round, uh, that's where probably I'd be looking right now. I think Gurley versus Foster is kind of interesting because when Gurley starts to play, whether that's week one, week three, week five, whatever it actually is, you do wonder if the workload might be limited. And now you have to wonder for Arian Foster if that might be the case. I mean, coming off of groin surgery, even though 
it's seemingly a somewhat minor procedure, he might not be 20 plus carries right out of the gate. And I think both of these guys on a per carry basis could be among the league's better runners. We saw it from Foster last year. He kind of looked like vintage Arian Foster. Uh, and there's still plenty left in the tank. This Houston team should be one of the best defenses in the league. With that, you're going to play a lot of close games. You don't have a great quarterback situation. At least you have an unproven one, whether it's going to be Ryan Mallett or Brian Hoyer, I think is to be determined over the course of camp. So I'm still intrigued by Foster. I think at the end of round five in a 12-team league, if he's still sitting there, I'd probably go ahead and, and take my chance and roll the dice. So I think for me, he's a little bit after where I'd take Gurley, but I'm also lower on Gurley in redraft leagues than most people I know. Yeah, uh, me with Foster, I was kind of down on him going in too, just because of this situation. I mean, obviously this happened, so it's easier to say it in hindsight. Uh, but Aaron Foster, to me, if he slips, like you said, to that round five value, um, like I said, you're looking at guys with platoon situations. Foster, he may not get the 20 carries, but he's going to be a productive fantasy back um, if he gets that opportunity to come back healthy. Yeah, we get some news over the weekend. Steve Smith is planning on retiring at the end of the season. Uh, really nice career that he's put together over his time in Carolina and last year's first season uh, with the Ravens. Is there any chance he can repeat his 2014 line in his swan song this season? To me, it kind of depends what you're expecting. Because if you look, he had two big games last year. Um, if I remember correctly, one of those games, uh, one of his big plays came off a tipped ball uh, where he's kind of in the right spot, got a touchdown. Uh, can he repeat his numbers? I would say no. Um, but I think he can have uh, a more productive season in terms of game by game um, instead of just having those monster games in the first half and then you know, falling apart in the second. Yeah, he might be more of like a high floor guy, but the ceiling should drop. You mentioned the, the tip ball long TD catch. I mean, that adds like 60, 70 yards in a, in a TD that you could, you could take that flute playoff and last year's numbers look a little less impressive right there. I mean, a 70-yard TD skews an entire season's worth of data in some ways. I think the, the appeal for me with Smith would be a full-point PPR league. And you look at the, the Ravens' depth chart at receiver right now. Brashad Perriman's a little bit dinged up. Marlon Brown's also dealing with an injury. Uh, Kamar Aiken's kind of moved up to the point where he could be the number two receiver initially. It's not a very pretty depth chart. You think about this offense with Mark Tressman now as the offensive coordinator. Things could open up quite a bit in this passing game if, if what the Bears were able to accomplish offensively under Tressman is any indication. And yet the personnel to me is a major wild card top to bottom. And, and Smith being the top wide out there, I mean, that's kind of a big deal. Torrey Smith leaving really put this team in a bad spot if Brashad Perriman can't just slot in and replace him. Is there anybody at all in this depth chart that you like as a sleeper? Uh, like you said, Kamar Aiken is kind of an interesting name. Trustman likes those big, tall receivers, uh, so he could step in and play a big role uh, for that team. Uh, Max Williams is interesting as a rookie, but as we found out over the past year's rookie tight ends, you just don't know what you're going to get. Um, but you know, we've seen, uh, like I said, those guys down the middle that can make those plays. And, and that's a team that's going to have to throw the ball. It's not a great offense. Like you said, their defense is not the Ravens of, uh, of past. Um, so they're going to have opportunities. Steve Smith is in a good situation. Uh, but the question will be, uh, like you said, you named, you know, three, four names. Who's going to emerge from that list? Um, Steve Smith is definitely the safest of those options. Speaking of potentially uh, low ceiling, high floor players, I think Jeremy Macklin now fits into that type of description with the move to Kansas City. He's dealing with a neck strain. It doesn't seem too serious. Uh, the, the takeaway many people have had on Jeremy Macklin is that they want him in a full point PPR league and they want almost nothing to do with him in situations where you don't get any points at all uh, for receptions. Is he really that type of player now where because uh, the Chiefs passing attack is, is just so inconsistent that you can't trust him unless you're, you're getting rewarded for the, the volume of targets that he should see thrown in his direction? I think it's a fair assumption to say in a full point PPR, he has more value than in a, in a standard league. Uh, just because, you know, you look at guys like Travis Kelsey and, and Jamal Charles is going to catch a lot of balls out of the backfield, um, and the receivers didn't have any touchdowns last year. So it's definitely a concern um, and would make me not want to draft him so high um, as he's going in, say, a PPR, where I think he's going around like 50-52 right now. This is one of those times a year where I think you have to really read between the lines sometimes, and, and there's a lot of coach speak. There's a lot of players just saying things that you'd expect players to say. Uh, you know, Eli Manning recently saying, 
Victor Cruz looking really good, looking like old Victor Cruz, which certainly isn't a bad thing, but it's exactly what you expect Eli Manning to say. Uh, Looking at this item, I I thought about the corresponding news being more important. Trent Richardson is expected to receive uh, a heavy preseason workload, which to me means he's competing for a spot on the roster, uh, not that he's any sort of threat at all to Latavius Murray. Is this one of those little indicators that makes you think that maybe Latavius Murray has a firm hold in that starting job right now in Oakland? I think he does, um, but I do look at their depth chart, and I see a guy like Roy Hallou there um, who's been known to be a third down back in the past. Um, if you're taking Murray expecting an every down back, I don't think you're going to get that uh, with a guy like Hallou there who can catch the ball, can block well. Um, but a guy like Trent Richardson, he, you know, he's proven he can, he can be serviceable. He's not obviously a great fantasy option, um, but a guy that could take away some carries over the course of a season, um, and Murray hasn't shown that he can be – healthy for a full season end either so there's definitely questions there i think halu is the guy i want to invest in the most just based on the adp of latavius murray right now i know he's explosive i know he's got a good combination of size and speed but halu never really had that chance to be a starter in washington he's shown that ability to catch passes as you alluded to uh, two seasons in his career out of four where he's had at least 40 catches uh, kind of explosive too. 5.4 yards per carry and limited touches last year out of the backfield for washington 4.4 yards per carry in 2013. So I do look at that as a situation where it could be more of a timeshare than people are, are initially letting on as far as Latavius Murray goes. Uh, one more running back news item to get to. Jay Ajay slowed by a hamstring injury. I like Jay Ajay as a zero running back target, if only because Lamar, Lamar Miller has some durability issues coming out of the University of Miami. I think there are some questions as to whether he can with, uh, withstand a full season's workload as a feature back. I know he kind of took over that role last year uh, once Nosha Moreno went down for good. How much is your appreciation for Lamar Miller growing over the course of the summer? Or was it already at a point going into the draft season where you kind of liked him based on what he did last year? He kind of caught my eye last year when I looked back at his numbers and said, holy cow, Lamar Miller has, has done a pretty good job here. Um, but when I look at the situation, Jay Ajay is someone that has kind of gone... I think shooting downward in the ADP the last couple of weeks. If you read between the lines, it doesn't look like the situation is made for him. I think Miller's got a great chance to be, um, and this may be bold, but he has a chance to be an RB1 this year um, with his volume that he's going to get. And, the, you know, the Dolphins have really improved their team, improved their defense. Um, they're going to be in close games. They're going to have to ground and pound. Uh, I really like Lamar Miller this year, and I'm not afraid to invest in him. I like the running game in Miami a lot more than Ryan Tannehill and the pass catchers. I think they've done a lot to change the personnel and, and in, increase the the number of viable weapons for their young quarterback. But at the same time, I don't want to start Tannehill half the time or in a deep league lean on him as my number one quarterback and, and play him most weeks. I know Kenny Stills can stretch the defense and Jarvis Landry's kind of a PPR machine. We got the, the fat head of Greg Jennings over <laughs> my shoulder here. I one of my favorite Packers the last few years, but hasn't really done much since leaving green Bay. I think he's just more of a depth guy and Devonte Parker's hurt. I think if Parker gets healthy, that could change things a little bit, but I agree with you that their defense kind of like Houston's could be among the best in the league. And with that, they might play a lot of close games. They may want to take the pressure off of Tannehill, ultimately use Miller very heavily. I could see a Jai as he gets healthy, maybe over the course of the season, becoming a guy that gets eight to 10 carries per week. But that's going to be in games where the Dolphins run it 30 times. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, that wide receiver core, like you said, is interesting, but it has some question marks. So the Ryan Tannehill lovers out there, I mean, there's got to be uh, if you take him, you got to be looking for definitely a, a, a quarterback, too, that's going to be serviceable from that aspect. Now, last night we had the Hall of Fame game, Vikings and Steelers. Uh, very few starters playing in this one as both of these teams will end up playing five preseason games as a result of getting together uh, in Canton. Uh, anything or any one in particular stand out to you watching that game from last night? I know there's some Teddy Bridgewater love um, from last night, but to me it was Kyle Rudolph. Uh, I like what I saw. It solidifies my thought that he is a, a tight end one going into this year. Um, he looks good. I think he's going to catch a lot of balls this year. He's going to be that security blanket for Bridgewater. Uh, Rudolph would be the guy that I think uh, really stood out to me last night. Otherwise, not not too much going on. Yeah, we really didn't see many snaps for the key guys in that offense. Adrian Peterson didn't play. Jarek McKinnon, I think, played one series. Uh, Bridgewater played very little actually did pretty well they stalled out in the red zone on a fourth down carry for mckinnon so 
good news for Vikings fans and Bridgewater honks alike. He looked pretty good last night, but not much to read into it, I think, given how few starting players were on the field for uh, both sides. I am kind of intrigued by by Dre Archer. I mean, I think if you look at the first two weeks of the season when the Steelers are playing without Le'Veon Bell due to suspension, D'Angelo Williams will probably get a dozen, 15 carries maybe in those games. But Archer, even with five or six carries and a couple of catches, he's so explosive. I could see him actually making an impact. I don't think you could use him as much more than you know a tournament play in DFS if he's near the minimum salary. I think that's about the extent to which Dre Archer can be used early. Uh, but he's a player I want to watch just in case something ever leads him to more touches. Yeah, I agree. I think he's a big play guy. Like I said, D'Angelo will probably maybe get more carries out of the mix, but he's a guy that can be more explosive. Um, kind of like that Latavius Murray factor from last year. We all knew it was there, um, and he just needed the opportunity to do so. All right, so today we're going to take a look at the NFC side of our 32 teams, 32 question series. We're going to start in the NFC East, and uh, the Cowboys with a gaping hole in the backfield. Can Joseph Randall take over? the running back job and be a huge source of profit this year the ADP seems pretty favorable but at the same time I've described him as the player who's probably the most difficult to predict in terms of when he will actually go in your draft compared to what his average draft position is what do you think about Joseph Randall as the starter or potential starter in Dallas he mentions ADP right now it looks about 89 in the NFFC which to me is a great gamble if you're going to take it um, I wouldn't be afraid to take him more towards that that 50 range um, from the standpoint of, you know, he is going to be the guy in Dallas. Uh, I think all that Derek McFadden love is, is going to be gone at this point. I, there's really nothing there. Um, so when I look at it, he's the guy. He's going to, you know, he's behind a great offensive line. To me, Joseph Randall is and can be uh, an RB1, RB2 type running back. So I'm not afraid to reach, you know, as my second running back for sure. I mean, he averaged 6.7 yards per carry, only 51 carries last year, working behind DeMarco Murray, but extremely productive in that limited role for Joseph Randall. It is surprising there's not more hype there. And I mean, to be completely honest, I like Lake Seastrunk more than Darren McFadden. I feel like they're <laughs> like 50 50. Like one of those guys ends up getting cut at the expense of the other. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Darren McFadden ends up getting cut. He's on the pup list right now so we'll see if he's able to get back and actually make uh, some kind of impact here dallas running game of course with that offensive line could generate a ton of value this year regardless of who actually gets the opportunity but i'm with you i think randall as a top 50 overall pick makes a lot of sense and that's that's where i've seen him go at the earlier end if there's some clarity going into the end of uh, august or early september i think there's a good chance he goes possibly as high as like 30th or 35th overall in some drafts uh, moving over to philly are we somehow sleeping on Sam Bradford, even though the Eagles offense made Nick Foles and Mark Sanchez viable weekly options at quarterback over the last two seasons? Because based on, on raw talent, Sam Bradford, by all accounts, has a higher ceiling than guys like Foles and Sanchez. It's just the injuries that have piled up over the last couple seasons that have really caused us to uh, dial back expectations in addition to lackluster numbers in, let's be honest, what's one of the worst offenses we've seen over the past five years in St. Louis. I think it's a really good question. Uh, I was having this discussion with someone the other day, um, and my question to them was, if you took Sam Bradford, um, you can get Mark Sanchez late because no one else is going to take him. If you can get those two, can you get a QB1 uh, option? And, and I would argue that you can with the volume that they're going to get, with the receivers that they have, with the running backs that can catch the ball out of the backfield. Um, and they still have Brent Selleck and Zach Ertz at tight end. That team is loaded on offense, and I, I could definitely see – you know, Bradford or, uh, to me, Bradford and Sanchez are both very good options. Whoever is going to be the guy there um, has a chance to be a QB1 or high, you know, QB2 option. I wouldn't be afraid to take him if that was my late option and I was stacking up on flex positions um, as my guy going forward. You know, one thing he's, he's done is he's done a good job of not turning the ball over as an NFL quarterback. If you look back at last season, we saw him 2013, played seven games that year for the Rams. He had four picks and 262 attempts completed just over 60% of his passes, 14 TDs. He had the same average fantasy points per game as Russell Wilson did in 2013. And, I mean, I don't know if anyone really noticed because it was a partial season and he got hurt and he did it in St. Louis. So I know the YPA has never been good. He's never gone above 6.7 YPA in a season. But think about the Rams teams from 2010 to 2013 when Bradford was their quarterback. Who of his weapons did you like? I, I didn't like anybody. I felt like he had a bad offensive coordinator in Brian Schottenheimer, and he had 
very few weapons. So this could be a totally different version of Sam Bradford. This could be an 8.0 YPA Sam Bradford, a guy that just takes advantage of Kelly's offense and the dynamic playmakers around him. He had, he had a 90.9 passer rating in 2013. That's actually really good. And, and I think people just look at him and say, well, I just don't know. And it's like, come on. Like the Eagles quarterback situation takes bad players and makes them good. We've seen it happen two years in a row. For me, there's little reason to think Sam Bradford can't have some level of success similar, if not even better, than Foles and Sanchez. Well, he's in, like you said, he's in that great situation. I remember back a couple of years ago, um, he he reminds me of, and I would compare him now to Ryan Tannehill, where he just kept taking that step, and everyone thought he was going to come over. I think it was pre-2012 it was, uh, where people were taking him as a low QB1. Um, so uh, injuries aside, I think the talent is still there, like you mentioned. Um, so it'll be really inter- interesting to see what he can do in that offense. Staying in the NFC East, taking a look here at the Giants. So what type of encore are you expecting from Odell Beckham after he finished this rookie season with 85 catches for 1,233 yards and 11 touchdowns between weeks 8 and 17? It's hard to believe that wasn't the whole season. That was just a, a nine-week stretch. Does he lose volume with the presumably healthy Victor Cruz or with James Jones added to the mix? I mean, we saw what James Jones did in the red zone with the Packers a few seasons ago. Uh, Ruben Randall is still there. I mean, how do you see Beckham's value shaking out? Because I've I've taken him fifth overall in a draft this year. I took in the FSTA draft, full point PPR. I, I, just, I just wanted to, to rack up some points early and, and go for the, the upside play. But could he actually lose some volume and, and ultimately – lose a little bit of value with those other talented players around him? I think this is the million-dollar question this year. Will Odell, Odell Beckham repeat his success from last year? Um, to me, like you said, those options, you know, Eli Manning, we, knows he, we know he likes Victor Cruz. He's even alluded to it this so far this offseason. He said guys like Ruben Randall still haven't taken that next step yet. Could they? Sure. And like you said, James Jones is kind of that red zone target. Could he lose volume? Yes, he probably will. Um, so he's going to have to do more with his catches when he gets them, when he gets the targets. Um, but he's a guy with special talent. We've seen his hands. They're fantastic. Um, but like I said, he's going to have to do more with less this year. Can he repeat his numbers? Yes. Will he? I would probably bet the under on that. Yeah, it just seems like the, the logical play. In, in the same way that Mike Trout coming off of his crazy good season uh, with the Angels, his first full season, that is, it was easy to look at him and say, okay, there's going to be some regression. The, the argument, of course, was, well, how much exactly? And in Trout's case, there was really none. But sometimes, uh, you know, more often than not, there will be some regression, even if that production stays at a very, very high level. Uh, for me, the NFC East is kind of a three-team race between the three teams we just talked about. Washington has no chance. Like, to me, they're just like the fourth team. They will win six games or less. Um, and it's a lot of, it's not even just because of the quarterback play. I think it is sink or swim time for RG3. I think there's still a chance that with health and another year in Jay Gruden's offense, maybe things could click for him. Deshaun Jackson had more big plays. That's plays over 40-plus yards than any other receiver last year by a wide margin, too. I think he had 13 catches of 40-plus yards. The next closest guy was Jordy Nelson with eight. It, does, does RG3 hold the starting quarterback job? all year assuming health or does he actually cough this up to, to Kirk Cousins as the the Redskins continue to look for solutions under center I think he holds a job all year this year I, I think last year was more kind of to make a statement let him get healthy let him go through a whole offset off season to you know to get him ready for um, hopefully a full season of, of good play I think it's his job. We saw what Kirk Cousins can do with the job last year. It's not much. I think he, he's a backup quarterback in the NFL and a good backup quarterback, but he's not a guy that can step in and make a difference in that offense. Like you said, it's sink or swim, but if that team wants to get better, they have to do it with RG3. They invested the money and time in him. Uh, I think they stick with him. Uh, and speaking of that situation, I think Pierre Garçon uh, is a guy that's going really low in drafts this year. That, that's still, to me, a good value, um, and he's going to lead that team in targets and receptions. Uh, a guy that, like I said, you could probably grab late and be a really good wide receiver three this year. Yeah, especially in full-point PPR settings. I think Pierre Garçon could surprise. Shifting to the NFC South, should be plenty of offense in this division this year. We'll start with Carolina. Which Panther rookie interests you more for the upcoming season? Is it Cameron Artis Payne or Devin Funches? To me, it's Funches just because we I don't think we ever fully saw what he could do at Michigan uh, because of their quarterback play there. Um, he, he's a playmaker, uh, and I think that with Calvin Benjamin's concerns right now with his hamstring, um, we could see him as, as the number one receiver going into week one. 
Right now, like I said, that's just speculation. We don't know. Um, but Funchess is a guy that can make plays. They need playmakers in that offense. And as we've seen with that you know, running back situation in the past, we don't know who the guy's going to be. We don't know how many touches they're going to get. Um, so that's a situation that I would probably just rather avoid. For me, Funchess is a freak. I mean, he's the kind of player that could just take over a game. And I think you're right. Michigan's quarterback play was so bad last year. That in and of itself limited his production. On top of that, I think he played hurt. So you yeah. combine those two factors. I think the Panthers may have got a steal with Funchess. Even if Kelvin Benjamin is completely healthy, you've got a tight end who catches lots of passes in Greg Olson. There's enough there for Funches. I think that Carolina defense is closer to league average than than above average. And I think as a result, Newton may have to throw more. The downside in Carolina, it's a CFL caliber offensive line, as uh, our colleague Marley, Mario Puig likes to say. It, it's, it's bad. I mean, Cam Newton is going to be running for his life again, but he could extend plays, and a guy like Funches could be an asset in the short and intermediate passing game. Uh, for me, Cost is a little lower on Cameron Artis Payne right now. I think if you make me only choose one, I think I'm going Artis Payne just because it, it seems like a lock that Jonathan Stewart breaks down at some point. And even if he doesn't, I don't think Stewart's the kind of guy that can withstand a 20 carry workload week in and week out. Like even if he has that in the early weeks of the season, Cameron Artis Payne went over 1,600 yards at Auburn last year. It's impressive for in the SEC. I mean, like I, I think he's the kind of player that you do want to roll the dice on late because the path to a larger role is very clear yeah no it's definitely a situation that like you said Jonathan Stewart he's never really been the guy there um so could he take take and run with it probably but it's probably not going to happen at this rate Cameron Artis Payne Cameron Artis Payne is a really good option um especially if you take Jonathan Stewart in the draft let's take a look at the Saints here Jimmy Graham of course being gone Marcus Colston already dinged up and another year older is the Brandon Cooks hype warranted is he a top shelf ppr receiver at a discounted price i've heard some people say that he's kind of an antonio brown starter kit i mean you could see the the target volume going through the roof potentially but injuries slowed him last year uh, limited the opportunities for him can he make that type of leap in year two or is there too much improvement already sort of baked into the price well, the target's got to go somewhere in New Orleans. And, and when you look at it, Marcus Colston, like you said, he's banged up already. Um, he hasn't played healthy in a couple of years. Uh, we look at a guy like Nick Toon. We know him from Wisconsin. Uh, he's a guy that's banged up quite a bit. Um, and their tight ends, Josh Hill, obviously has a lot of upside. Uh, but Brandon Cooks is a guy there. I think that he's going to get, you know, 150-plus targets. I think he's a guy that could do a lot um, with less because of his playmaking ability after the catch. Um, he's a guy that... He is a low-end wide receiver one in a PPR um, and, and a guy that I'm going to be targeting definitely on draft day. I, I like him. I feel like I'm more likely to end up with him in an auction, whereas in a snake draft, there's always going to be somebody late round three, early round four ready to pounce on him, and I think there's always going to be a player I'm going to like better in that setting. You know, If I can get him for $18 or $20 in a full-point PPR league where I'm spending 200 I could get him there, but... I don't know. It's funny. There's always players like that who kind of fall into that. I can't quite get them in a snake draft because the ADP is such that unless I'm drafting in the perfect spot and he falls exactly as far as I need him to, I'll take someone else over him. It's not because I don't like him, but I do think the snake draft price could be a touch on the high side. Uh, Looking at the Falcons, rookie running back Tevin Coleman, second-year running back Devontae Freeman competing for the starting job there. Both slowed by hamstring injuries here in camp. Who ends up finishing the year as the more productive back in Atlanta? I expect them to work in some sort of tandem. Ideally for me, Freeman's the third down back, and and Coleman gets most of the first and second down work, and he ends up being a better player. But he's a rookie. Freeman's got the experience, and protecting Matt Ryan actually is pretty important because he's one of those quarterbacks that you really don't want to jeopardize with someone who can't pick up the blitz or or, or things like that. So who do you see being the more productive back uh, of of those two options? It's actually a really good question because you think back to last year this time, Devonta Freeman was a guy that was looked at as, you know, he could potentially be that, you know, that running back of the future in Atlanta last year. The talent is still there. The question is, by drafting Coleman, what does that say to Freeman? Do they only see him as a third down back like you mentioned? Or is he a guy that can carry the workload um, potentially first and second down to start and maybe eventually take over that third down role over time? Uh, it's really interesting with rookie running backs this year. A lot of them are banged up right now. Like you said, JHI earlier. Uh, it's one of those things that right now we don't really know with a lot of these guys. 
Um, and with the way that rookies have produced the last couple of years, someone's probably going to pay a price on them that you're probably not going to want to take on draft day. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think this year's class of rookie running backs is a lot like last year's class of rookie wide receivers, where you're going to see players all around the league getting an opportunity and making not only an impact, but a significant impact, taking over starting jobs, uh, maybe even a couple surprises leaping up into the top 10 or top 15 overall at the position. That's the type of talent Tevin Coleman has, mm-hmm. uh, but health already a problem. And of course, as we found out, I found this out during the XM show last week, he has the sickle cell trait, which actually may have caused him to fall slightly in the draft. Uh, the concern there is often high altitude or heat. Uh, there's a big difference between the trait and actually having sickle cell disease. One of those things, I don't know a ton about it, but it, it's something he played with at Indiana when he went over 2,000 yards and was running against defenses that knew he was going to get the ball and still couldn't stop him. He was over seven yards per carry last year in what was just an amazing performance for the Hoosiers. Yeah, no, he was a great running back. And, and if it wasn't for Melvin Gordon, uh, he would have gotten a lot more love, especially for the Heisman. So, yeah, he's a guy that kind of flew under the radar in college, but um, if he can live up to that potential, he, he has, has high upside in fantasy. May have landed in an ideal spot to that yeah. high-powered Atlanta offense. Uh, moving on to Tampa Bay and sticking with running backs, how are you handling the Bucks running back situation right now? I think uh, Lovey Smith recently said Doug Martin is the favorite to emerge. As the starter, you still have Charles Sims in the mix there. I know he got some love last year as a PPR target. Bobby Rainey still kind of hanging around, too. Is there any one of those three that you're going after based on their current price? Or are you kind of just staying away because you think these guys are going to just wrestle for the job all season long? Uh, I'm on record two years ago saying Doug Martin is the number one player in a, in a franchise league. Um, so <laughs> at this point, I'm sticking with him. I, you could I, double down on that? Yeah, I, I think at this point, the job, it's still a clear path to him. There's not a guy, like you said, Charles Sims, Bobby Rainey. Neither of them are great talents. So if Doug Martin can prove anything, the talent is there. But if he can prove it, I think it's still his job. And I still think he can bounce back. You're going to get him at a discounted price. Uh, he's a guy that I'm still buying, uh, and if he does it to me one more year, I, I'm probably going to have to jump off the bandwagon. That was me with Darren McFadden for a few <laughs> years in Oakland. Everybody has their player that they, they just they, they like the guy, and they, they want to keep believing, and eventually it runs out. I think in, uh, in fantasy baseball, our colleague Jeff Erickson for years was an Austin Kearns guy. You know, Everybody has someone, regardless of, of, of the sport. Um, Tampa's interesting. I mean... I saw the, the Ron Jaworski quarterback rankings, and I, I was kind of surprised he ranked James Winston last among all quarterbacks, like behind Matt Castle even. I thought, really? I mean, like, I don't like James. Like, I want James to fail for off-field reasons. Like, he's, he, to me, he's like one of the most unlikable players in the league already, which is rare for, for a rookie. But he walks into a situation with Mike Evans, who's just a dynamic, game-changing receiver, and perhaps the reason why Johnny Manziel had the same had the level of success that he did at Texas A&M. I know uh, the style of play certainly is more apt to be successful in the college game, but Mike Evans, I mean, for what 6'5", 240 with that speed, he he's one of the most difficult players in the league to cover. So to have that plus Vincent Jackson, plus Austin Safarian Jenkins, plus some guys in the backfield who I think could put something together, whether it's Martin, whether it's Sims, Rainey. I'm not sure who's going to come away with this job. I think if I had to roll the dice today, I would go with Martin because the price is low. I mean, I look at this offense as one that could be significantly improved because quarterback play was a major limiting factor for the Bucks a year ago. So that's why a lot of people are really you know, expecting Mike Evans to, to fall a little bit. Um, but I look at him as a, as a safe option. Like you said, in college, he's a guy that he probably only ran two or three routes, but he was just impossible to stop because he can just go up and get the ball. Uh, Jameis Winston, anytime he's in trouble, he can scramble, and he's just going to put it up there, and a guy like Mike Evans can catch it. Vincent Jackson still has a lot of talent. Like you said, Safarian Jenkins, a guy like Tim Wright um, has some versatility. So, yeah, whoever's back there is going to be valuable, but it just depends on you know how camp shakes out, how the preseason shakes out, but... Uh, like I said, I think Martin ends away with the job. Uh, he, can, he can still block pretty well, so I guess we'll see. Football season is just a few weeks away at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com is America's favorite one-week fantasy football site where you could win enormous cash prizes every week. Last season, eight players won a million dollars in one day just playing fantasy football. Don't just dominate your season-long leagues in 2015, but also play one-week fantasy at DraftKings.com. 
Head over to DraftKings.com now and enter the promo code ROTOWIRE for a free entry. DraftKings.com, bigger events, bigger winnings, bigger millionaires. Enter ROTOWIRE for free now at DraftKings.com. Shifting the focus now to the NFC West, we will begin in Seattle. How much of a drop-off, if any, are you expecting from Jimmy Graham in 2015, leaving New Orleans, pass happy attack, on turf for a team in Seattle, which really has been ground-heavy, play good defense. That's been the model all along, even though they have a quarterback in Russell Wilson with plenty of talent. I mean, is this a case where Graham takes a major hit because of the new system, or do the Seahawks adapt this offense quite a bit because they've just never had a weapon like this before? I think you have to expect the targets to go down, but the question is when they get inside the red zone, like you said, they've never had a guy like this before. Uh, He could be a guy that could step in and get double-digit touchdowns um, at a value right now where you're really not paying for double-digit touchdowns. Um, I look at his ADP, it's 28, um, which isn't, you know, last year around this time, I'm assuming he was going top 10, top 15. So you're getting a discount for a guy that, like I said, will get less targets, but could potentially get more touchdowns because of a guy like Russell Wilson, guys like Marshawn Lynch um, that can move the ball. Uh, So I think his his regression in yards is there. If it's in a PPR league, there's definitely concern. Um, but in standard leagues, he's a guy that you still look at as a, as a top two tight end. So if you have your choice in Graham and Kelsey in round three, you're taking Graham? I do like Kelsey, but I'll still take Graham just because of the upside. And, and you know he's going to get the ball in the red zone, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to be dominant and close as he always is. But I, for me, I'm not convinced the volume even goes down that much. I think if you look at where the Seahawks threw passes last year, it's easy to come up with 125, 130, 135 targets for Jimmy Graham because – there's no one there that you say, oh, well, they have to keep throwing it to this guy. I mean, like they just they don't have that offense at all. They don't have those threats. So it's totally possible that just by nature of having to block more or doing whatever it is the Seahawks want him to do, that the volume comes down. But I think you're right for sure in the red zone. He's going to be the guy they go to in close. Uh, Taking a look here at the Cardinals, who ends up finishing this season as the most valuable of the cards pass catching options we've seen Michael Floyd suffered some dislocated fingers. Uh, he's had some surgery for that already. Going to be at least a few weeks before we see him back, I think, in game situations. Kind of an uncertain timetable there. Larry Fitzgerald has a minor injury. He's been slowed by recently. Uh, so based on ADP, you look at those two guys and you look at someone like John Brown. Do you like any of those three players? And who do you think ends up being the most valuable of the bunch? I know in a PPR league, John Brown's a guy that's interesting. You won't have to pay a high price for him and you can get good production. Uh, but to me, I'm still going to target, target Michael Floyd. Um, I Again, alluding back to last year, he was a guy that was coming off of a great second half two years ago um, and was going very high in drafts last year. The talent is there. The talent is almost, I would put him in like the Des Bryant of talent range. Um, the question is, uh, a guy like Carson Palmer, can he feed him enough to make him productive? He's hurt right now, so it's hard to say. But if he's healthy... Uh, Michael Floyd is the guy that I'm going to target there and you know take a chance on. I'd like Floyd a lot if Larry Fitzgerald played somewhere else. I think Fitzgerald's one of those players that if you have him, you're going to throw a good number of targets his way. And the weird thing for me with Floyd is that John Brown can do similar things in terms of stretching the field. I think that's actually kind of a good thing, though, because safeties can't deal with both of them. There's going to be space for somebody. Um, but if I'm looking at this full-point PPR, I still think Fitz... Depending on the extent of Floyd's injury, I think Fitz could actually be the best in a full-point PPR. In a non-PPR setting, I think Floyd, assuming this hand injury is not too bad, he is still the guy to own there. Um, you're going to see some situations where John Brown ends up going crazy for a week, as we yep. as we saw last year. So much of this hinges on Carson Palmer's health. I mean, the Cardinals, they, they've had such poor quarterback depth over the last few years. When their starter has gone down, it's just been devastating. It certainly was the case last year. Taking a look at the uh, rebuilt or devastated by retirements and or off-field problems, San Francisco 49ers with a ton of changes defensively and the addition of Torrey Smith now as a viable deep threat. Are you expecting a significantly higher volume of passing attempts from Colin Kaepernick this year? Yes, uh, I do. Uh, I look at their backfield, and Frank Gore is a guy they could always rely on. And, and then even having Carlos Hyde is a guy who could you know, change pace in Kendall Hunter. Um, I look at Carlos Hyde, and a lot of people are down on him, which could make him an interesting value. Um, but I look at the receiving core, and you know, you got Anquan, Torrey Smith, uh, like you said, Vernon Davis, and you got a guy like an addition like Reggie Bush, um, who can catch out of the backfield. I think they're going to open it up. They're going to be down in games that defense is not the defense of years past. Um, they're going to be down. They're going to have to throw. 
Kaepernick has uh, some sneaky value this year, and I look at a guy like Torrey Smith and think that he could be better than he was uh, in Baltimore because he has a guy that can throw uh, a really good deep ball uh, and a guy that, you know, he could get more targets than, than he has in the past as well. I think with Torrey Smith, too, you have a quarterback in Kaepernick that can extend plays yeah. really effectively. I mean, Kaepernick can move around, let Smith get open downfield, and then launch it 50 yards and hit him. I mean, like that's the that's the amazing thing about it. So even though Torrey Smith's one of those players that's hard to lean on every week because the volume's not there, you get to take the good with the bad, I like him even more now than I ever did in Baltimore, so I might have a few shares. Still like him a lot as a best ball kind of player because you get the best weeks, and then if you have some PPR guys that you draft late, you have some some higher floor players that can fit in in the weeks where he's not as active. But I completely agree with the premise that the, the Niners' defense is going to be so weak that they're going to have to throw it a lot more. I think that's a good thing for Torrey Smith and Vernon Davis too. I mean, this, mm-hmm. Vernon Davis seems like a steal in drafts as of right now. Taking a look here at the Rams, we'll wrap up the NFC West. In a one-year league, can you justify spending a top 50 pick on Todd Gurley? I've seen him go as early as round three of some drafts, like a 14-team league in Vegas, I believe he went early round three. So we're talking like top 35, top 40 pick in that case. But a top 50 overall pick on Todd Gurley right now, is that too steep? To me, it depends on if you're willing to pay for a guy like Trey Mason then. If you take Todd Gurley, he's probably going to be, right now, like you said, with his value, potentially your RB2. Um, can you find a guy that can fill his spot till he's gone? And to me, you know, a guy like Trey Mason has enough talent to where you probably need to uh, handcuff Gurley. Um, would I be willing to pay a high price for that? Sure. But like I said, I'd really have to be looking at my board and seeing what I can get later on. Running backs are going so quick now that um, – you know, you can't really get great value. You have to reach on another guy later to fill that spot until he comes back. Yeah, I think Gurley's going to be a, a special talent, but I don't know how many redraft leagues I'm going to end up with him on because it's almost like assumed he'll be healthy for most of the season, if not all of it, based on the current ADPs. And if that trend seems to be a rising price tag, I know the news so far in camp has been pretty favorable. He's been working out uh, on the side. So, he could still be a few weeks away from going through full workouts with his teammates. And if that's the case, I don't think he's getting anything close to a full workload in week one. Maybe even could be three to four weeks before that actually starts to uh, materialize for Todd Gurley. Uh, shifting the focus now to the NFC North, we'll start in Green Bay. Do you expect Devontae Adams to be a steady wide receiver three? I mean, so we're talking like a top 35, top 40 range player, depending on the size of the league at the position week in and week out, if Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb are healthy? I don't think so. Uh, I like Devontae Adams. I was watching the the family night game this past weekend, and he, he had this really good one-handed catch down the sideline. It's like you can see the talent. It's there. Um, but assuming those two guys are healthy, can he beat a wide receiver three? I think he's going to be too inconsistent. I think some games he'll get the targets. Like if you look at the playoffs last year, um, he had a game where he went off, and I think that almost helped his value jump so high. Um, that he's going to that wide receiver three range. Uh, I think we're a year away from seeing Devontae Adams really taking off. Um, But right now I'm looking at a guy on that team like Richard Rodgers and saying I'm going to grab him almost in the last round of every draft and say he's the guy that I think that that could take that next step earlier than Devontae Adams. Yeah, Richard Richard Rodgers is going to be so cheap by comparison. There's a lot of hype already with Adams. I I do wonder if they could get him – Richard Rodgers, that is to fill the role previously filled by Jermichael Finley. That's a guy that the Packers kind of missed. I mean, between Finley uh, retiring, essentially, and and James Jones leaving for Oakland last season, the red zone targets, there was a little bit of a void there. You know, like there there was an opportunity that no one really stepped up to fill. Uh, So it could be Rodgers. I I think that could actually lead Devontae Adams to extra value now. He might not be the high-volume player you want week in and week out but he could see more looks in the red zone because it, it seems like Aaron Rodgers is building up that rapport to the point where he trusts him. So once that switch fully flips, I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of teams where you, week in and week out, you, you looked at all three receivers and said, yeah, plug them all in. I mean, there was a year with the Colts with Harrison, Wayne, and Stokely. I feel like even Brandon Stokely at that time, you could throw him out there in most leagues and you felt pretty good about it. Um, and Devonta Adams to me is 10 times more talented than yeah. Brandon Stokely. <laughs> But you're right. Like they, they spread the ball around so effectively, and as we saw at times last year, they'd open up such big leads that it just became, you know, we're going to run the ball a lot in the second half, control the clock, and Eddie Lacy's going to pile up some yardage for us. So 
I, I could see more of the same to where Adams still disappoints people on a weekly basis, even though the talent is more apparent to us now, I think, than it was even a year ago or two years ago uh, when people were first getting excited about Devontae Adams. Let's look at Detroit here, and the question I have for you is, are we going to look back at the current discount on Megatron and, and laugh about it someday, or is this decreased price warranted? It's, it's only a slight discount. He's still kind of a late first-round pick, but you got Demarius, you got Dez, you got Julio Jones often going ahead of him, Odell Beckham's often going ahead of him. Kind of a fringy top-five receiver now after several years where he was considered the best receiver on the board. Calvin really hurt me in the NFFC last year. Um, so it, it's kind of tough to look at him and see value. Um, to me, with a guy like him, I look at, you know, he's had a couple knee injuries now. He, he's, I think, 31 right now. Uh, as you get older, the first thing that kind of goes is your knees. So if anything pops up at this point, he's going to miss a game or two so that they make sure he's healthy for, you know, if they're making a playoff run. Uh, he's a guy that I'm not comfortable taking uh, in that first round, uh, which is probably where he's going to go at this point. Um, but we could look back and laugh someday because the talent is still there. That hasn't gone anywhere. He's still the guy in Detroit. Golden Tate, I think, only helps him there. Um, so that's a situation where it's still there. The talent's there. The question is, can he stay on the field? And if you could tell me yes, I, I'll take him in the top five. And for me, Golden Tate's just not much of a threat in the red zone, which is what continues to drive Megatron's value. But I think if you Look at the quarterback situations for the other top receivers. I, I like everybody else's quarterback situation better. I think Matthew Stafford, the more you see, the less you like him. And I think Jim Caldwell is well aware of that. I think if, if they can run the ball effectively with Joyke Bell and Amir Abdullah, they might have a little more balance offensively this year. Now, they may not be able to do it. I, I think Joyke Bell could completely flop. And I think Abdullah, as talented as he is, may have a difficult time being more than a 200 carry back in the NFL. I think he'll catch a lot of passes. I think in PPR leagues, I like him. But even though Detroit wants to run it more, they may not be able to, and that volume that's driven the value of Megatron for years could still be there. Like you said, yeah, Stafford's erratic, but I look at it and, you know, he has bad games, but when he forces the ball, he's always forcing it to Calvin when he's on the field. So as bad as Matt Stafford may be, his value still helps Calvin Johnson from that standpoint. Oh, man, Calvin Johnson just <laughs> has has turned that guy's career into something that's been so much longer and just paid so much more money than he would have ever received without Calvin Johnson. Amazing, amazing to have an elite receiver like that. Take a look here now at the Vikings. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, as we mentioned earlier, looked pretty strong in the stretch last year. Uh, played pretty well in his series last night in the Hall of Fame game. Do you trust any of his pass catchers to provide steady value on a weekly basis? They've added Mike Wallace to the equation. I like what Charles Johnson was doing uh, down the stretch last year. It seemed like he was coming on pretty strong. There was a point this offseason where North Turner suggested he was the team's best receiver. I think that happened before Mike Wallace was acquired. You mentioned Kyle Rudolph earlier as someone that you kind of were impressed by last night. I mean, do you see weekly value in those players? Like, is Kyle Rudolph a top 10 tight end for you? Is Charles Johnson or Mike Wallace going to be a top 30, top 35 receiver? Or do you see a lot of inconsistency with this group of pass catchers? Uh, The tight end spot, Kyle Rudolph, I could see as a fringe top five tight end at the end of the year if all shakes out uh, the way that I think it can. Uh, The wide receivers, I think there's going to be inconsistency. But when I look at these players, I see them as very different. Mike Wallace is kind of that deep threat. Um, he likes to go down the field. And Charles Johnson can control the middle of the field really well and can be that guy that, you know, some game can catch 12 passes for, you know, 120 yards and a touchdown. Um, there'll be inconsistencies because none of these guys um, have a track record of being consistent players. Um, but we saw the, the talent with Charles Johnson who's with Green Bay. When he's with Cleveland, they saw the talent too, but he just couldn't stay on the field. They cut him. Uh, Minnesota got a nice cheap pickup, and and I think it's a like you said a situation that you know someone's got to catch a ball there, and Bridgewater has has taken I think a step quicker than people thought he would. Yeah, I, I do think many uh, draft analysts looked at Teddy Bridgewater as like a three year sort of project as a starter, but as we saw second half of last season, he's ready I think to to keep that job and maybe help get the Vikings into the playoffs. They to me look like the second best team in this division as we sit here in the early part of August. Uh, one more question here. We're going to look at the Bears before we sign off. Every year, there's a late first-round pick based on ADP that kind of gets this boring tag from the industry types, and, and they kind of consciously avoid that player. It seems like it's Matt Forte this year. He averaged 3.9 yards per carry last season, but he, sailed, he really saved his value. He caught 102 passes in Mark Tressman's dump-it-down offense. 
808 receiving yards, added four receiving touchdowns as well. Big changes, of course, in Chicago. John Fox now the head coach there. Uh, Do you buy into this idea that Forte is that boring late first round pick that no one wants? Or do you think he's actually going to be a steady source of value again because they haven't done a whole lot to change the position? I mean, Jacquez Rogers can catch passes, but is he going to take more than 30 or 40 targets away from from Forte realistically? You ask a good question because he kind of seems like this year's Marshawn Lynch. Uh, Last year, there's the same questions. He's getting older. He's had a heavy workload. Uh, Can he do it again? And by the end of the year, we're all you know, kicking ourselves for not taking Lynch in the first round. Forte is a guy that I think is still safe. Yes, he's getting up there in age. I think he's in his 30s as well. Um, But he's a guy, like you said, he doesn't have competition. Uh, Kevin White kind of news came out, I think, earlier today saying that he's not even going to be ready to play in any preseason games. Uh, So Forte is going to have to be that guy. Is he going to catch 102 passes? No, he's not going to catch 102 passes, but they're still going to lean on him. The Bears are not a good team. They don't have a great O-line, uh, but he's still the guy. He hasn't really had a track record of, of injuries. Uh, I'd probably still take him in the first round and, and hope that he catches 50, 60 passes, um, but hoping for more than that, no, I probably can at this point. Even in non-PPR leagues last year on a per-game basis, he had the second-best season of his career. I mean, just because the receiving yardage bolstered up these overall numbers so much. As a PPR player, full-point PPR player, it was the best year of his career it's hard not to be when you have 102 <laughs> catches out of the backfield but mileage is starting to become a concern there it's a guy that's actually been pretty durable throughout his time in the nfl seven seasons now he said five where he's played in all 16 games i uh, had a 15 game season in 2012 and a 12 game season in 2011 so we'll see how they shake things out i think you're right this is a this is a team that's gonna be pretty bad so they may have to air it out quite a bit and i think that's what makes a guy like elshon jeffrey really interesting you know brandon marshall's gone he played hurt last year could see more targets for Jeffrey. Uh, could see this team kind of have to air it out a lot with Smoke and Jay, which is always fun because, <laughs> I mean, he, he's the guy that I, I think this was on one of the ESPN shows. They brought this up. It's like, why does Jay Cutler keep getting more chances? Whereas other quarterbacks get washed out of the league or at least cast into backup roles so much more quickly. I mean, from year after year, Cutler has been just a huge disappointment in a variety of different schemes with a variety of different talent around him. Yeah, he when he got traded to Chicago, I really hated being a Packer fan because I love Jay Cutler in Denver because he reminded me of Brett Favre, who I grew up idolizing. Um, but he's a guy, yeah, he, he hasn't had success, um, like you said, in a lot of different systems. But I think from the standpoint of the talent, it's still there and everybody has seen it. It's just what coach is going to be able to tap into that and make him a productive year-to-year quarterback. For me, it just feels like that ship has sailed. Like if it didn't yeah. happen by now, I, I just had, I've run out of reasons to believe that it's going to happen at any point at all. Thank you for listening to the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast, brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code Rotowire when you make your deposit. Also, check out Rotowire for free for ten days by going to Rotowire.com/pod and give us a follow on Twitter. I'm at Derek Van Riper. He's at Fantasy Smith. Chris, thanks for filling in. Hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Jake and Eric will be back with you guys tomorrow.